The dawn of civilization. Primitive. Dangerous. Exciting. The handwriting is on the wall. If the human race is ever going to amount to anything, it needs... The most civilized caveman I have ever seen. Ah, look who's come out of his cave. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in again. This is Cave Dweller Music. You've got James and Brendan. Again, Matt is not here due to a time zone difference. And today's interview, we have Nicholas Turner, the uh, one-man music machine from Los Angeles. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Good. How are you guys? Amazing. We're great, thank you. Good to have you on the call. Um, I've been uh, a fan of music for a while, and this is the first time we've actually spoken in person, so it's a weird change from Messenger. It's definitely a nice change from Messenger, and... uh you know, it's interesting because I just watched this documentary last night about basically the effects of social media on on humanity and how it's really just bringing about our downfall. And, you, you know, with all the division it's creating with this whole new generation of kids who've been raised on this stuff. And I'm really trying to seek out, you know, all my friends' contacts info who I only talk to on Messenger because, you know... I do plan on probably getting away from the social media here pretty soon. So I'm really happy to be talking to you guys at least over a microphone instead of typing into Messenger. Fully agree. It's a, it's a hard thing, though, because uh, Facebook's sort of put itself in a place where you kind of need it to do business. And, you know, as an artist or a review page like us or like a label or something, it's really hard to get out there without being a part of the machine. Exactly. And, you know, through the Facebook promotions and stuff, I've grown a lot of my bands up really large and gotten big followings in ways I couldn't have done without it. But at the same time, you know, you we are what this documentary was saying is we are the product. Like in most products that people offer, like the bicycle is the product, right? You just you buy the bicycle and you use it. But as far as social media, we are the product and they need us to be viewing the screen in order to put their advertisements on there. So it's a very, very tricky world we live in now where essentially we're the product and we're being competed for as much time on a screen as possible. And uh, I know for a fact they have algorithms to try and make it as addictive as possible as well. So things like like counters and view counters and that sort of thing, upvotes, downvotes. All that stuff is right. designed in a way that makes you chemically addicted to it, essentially. Um, right. So you, you, you feed off the high. You're right. You, you get yeah, a like. Every like. Exactly. Yeah, every like or, or heart or good comment you get is going to release certain dopamine in your brain because everyone likes attention and everyone likes to be validated for their hard work or, or you know what I mean, appreciated. And, and it's also tracking everything you view. So they're going to be putting on your feed different stuff uh you know that they know you look at so definitely and it's actually I honestly, very scary it is i actually get kind of weird about about that sometimes like we'll be talking about a topic my wife and i and we'll say something like oh yeah well what about uh, we buy something from this company and then 24 hours later without even googling it it shows up in my newsfeed as a suggested ad or something i'm like well how the hell did that happen like obviously the mics tune in and stuff pick stuff up stuff so. Yeah, there's no, yep. no privacy anymore with that stuff. No. No privacy. Anyway, we're going off topic, but it is an interesting topic. <laughs> so we are here today to talk about you and your music. Um, why don't you let us, well, for those who don't know you, why don't you let us know who you are and, and what it is you do music-wise? Um, well, my main project is called Nothing Is Real. It's kind of a uh, progressive doom metal band. And uh, it was really my first main project I started. And uh, 
was a one-man band and I meant to uh, stay anonymous, you know, the whole time. And I was pretty successful for the first year or two. But, you know, with all the promotion and stuff, eventually people find out who you are. You got to post your music. You got to send it around. So I've kind of given up on the anon the full anonymity factor. Like when I post my albums, I just say nothing is real. But, you know, all, all my close friends or people who work with me obviously know who I am. But yeah, I got nothing, <clears throat> nothing is real for me is like uh, it's just a way to have ultimate freedom with my music because each album I'm doing something totally different. Like I have the doom metal to kind of tie it all together because that's my truest passion. But in the end, like I'm doing my next album I'm doing is totally weird with industrial influences and all sorts of prog and, you know, math rock and all, all sorts of the crazy shit I want to do. So That's I don't awesome. have to fit any one type of sound. I can just kind of, whatever comes out, I just go for it. That's well, awesome. That's what that's what drew me to your music initially is the fact that I came across you with obviously Obsidian Hooves when we reviewed that album. And uh, I actually got put on to you personally as an artist through someone else. Um, and he, he recommended you and said you do a bunch of interesting stuff. So I started working my way through your catalogs and everything you do is so different and so varied and uh, that's what I appreciate about you. And that's why I wanted to get you on the show to just chat about what it's like to be someone who makes that much music that spans that many genres. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And um, yeah, I just, I feel a lot of bands get stuck into one little thing like, oh, we have to do this sound and now we're signed onto this label. So we got to keep doing the same record over and over and over again. And I just think that's really stifling for creativity because I love so much different types of music. And for me, like the reason I'm able to put out so much music is like, I'll write something and I don't second guess it. I just, I choose that as the song and then I just go for it. Even if it's like, you know, I set out to do a, a old school death metal album with Obsidian Hooves, but then there's a lot of weird clean parts and a lot of parts that like, you know, have bizarre riffs that wouldn't normally be in a death metal album, but I kept it in there because, you know, that was just part of the song and I'm not going to take it out just for the sake of uh fitting one small sound that's awesome uh, i fully understand that i fully appreciate that um obsidian hooves was actually if you guys haven't listened to that one definitely check it out it's a uh, it's a death metal album but it's also not a death metal album as you mentioned he, he's got a lot going on in there there's some really interesting work and if correct me if i'm wrong but that was the same guy you worked with on schizo christo yeah it was the uh the vocalist from schizo christo as well as the um a drummer I work with a lot. Um, he's also an extremely prolific drummer who lives in Mississippi. And uh, he, he just released that Evaporated Sores album, which is getting a lot of attention. But, yeah, uh, we, we love that album. Him. Yeah, I worked with him on Feral Lord. And uh, I've got a couple more albums coming out with him. Um, a progressive death metal album, as well as a really hardcore punk power violence album. So... Ooh. He's a really good friend of mine, and I plan to be doing a lot of releases with him because he has a similar, you know, philosophy to music as me, where he just really goes for it. And uh, how did you sort of make these connections to these guys? Like, how did you come across and meet them and get into contact to, to put the projects together? Well, I found out about um, the drummer uh, from he builds some custom cabs called Mauler Cabinets. And so I was looking to get some custom cabinets made. So I just sort of made contact with him. 
And then I actually, uh, I go out to New Orleans for vacation a lot, and he lives very close by in Mississippi. So, you know, one year I went out there and just met up with him, and we just recorded an impromptu album on the spot, and our musical <laughs> styles really meshed together. So I got, awesome. I got two awesome, gigantic custom cabs from him, and uh, we've just stayed in contact ever since. That's awesome. It's, it's kind of weird how you make those uh, connections. You just kind of meet people. Um I don't know if you know how Brendan uh, came to be on the show with us or not, but um, he kind of just fell onto our radar as someone who kept posting in our group every day. And we're like, this dude's awesome. He just keeps posting killer music. And uh, we got chatting and he, he kind of just became one of the team. So people definitely, you, you just meet them and you gel with them and uh, you work together. And that's awesome. Exactly. Exactly. And then the vocalist uh, for, for Schizo Cristo and Obsidian Hooves, he reached out to me through another friend of mine who was really into my nothing is real stuff. So that friend kind of introduced him to my work. And then he just kind of contacted me and said, you know, I made this black metal album back in 92 and, you know, it was really successful in the underground and he kind of took a break from music for a long time. And now he's finally been motivated to, to start up something else. So it was definitely a big honor to work on his first new project in a really long time. Basically, you brought him out of retirement, which is what it sounds like, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it was definitely an honor to work with someone who's been in the scene way longer than me and uh, and bring my own style to the table and just give him some solid stuff to do vocals over. And I know you have another band uh, that we haven't actually covered on our page. I think it's your only major one we haven't covered, which is Moldering Vibrations. So tell us a little about that. Yeah, so Moldering Vibration is my local band. Uh, it's basically me and one other drummer who does the vocals. We do have a bassist for live now as well, but we are just kind of some ultra heavy. We're, we're more rooted in, in punk and power violence, grindcore, but we push the sound a lot, of course, to sludge and, and, and death metal. And we're just basically really loud, disgusting, and, and uh, you know, bring a lot of the nihilism of bands like Meth Drinker and other you know hardcore punk sludge bands and we were only able to play one live show before all the covid started which is a huge bummer and we had whole tours lined up and everything so we're hoping to to continue to play live because it's really fun music to play live i mean i only use basically one pedal to overdrive the amp more and we just fucking go for it I was going to say, how have you uh, adopted uh, to with, with uh, COVID going on and not being able to play, play live music and um, get everything done with uh, everybody that you've been working with? Well, you know, I was in some other bands before locally, uh, before COVID, but, you know, it really wasn't my style of music anyways. And I got a lot more joy from from recording all my Nothing Is Real albums and, and doing the stuff I really wanted to do, so... I'd say my biggest joy comes from recording albums and releasing them and just bringing it to as many people as possible that can relate to that kind of music. Um, but, you know, playing live is really fun and really nice, but I get a lot more joy out of writing and recording. So, you know, the COVID is a bummer with, you know, bands like Moldering Vibration where those live shows are really fun and get really crazy. But, you know, I'm just doing my best to just continue keep doing what I was always doing beforehand with writing and recording. Right on, right And on. Uh, I heard from someone that you record a lot of your stuff uh, at home. Is that true? Yeah, I have a whole studio set up in my apartment. Um, luckily, my walls are pretty thick, so I'm able to record pretty 
loud in here without you know cops knocking down my door and uh <laughs> before i would go to like different you know lockouts or rehearsal studios if i needed to record extremely loud but i do you know i do have a cab simulator that i can plug into if i really want to crank up amps like that are going to be so loud it's just going to be you know stupid so i am able to get that same tone while going direct into my interface and then you know, and then I mic up different stuff with, you know, a medium volume or so. So I have I have a full studio setup in my apartment where I can just turn it on and start recording within seconds. So it's really nice. <laughs> that's uh, that's got to be really comfy. Do you have a lot it of uh, bands and like your friends come over to help you like record there? Or are you just mainly doing that solo? Um, well, like with Moldering Vibration, I'll go over to his place and record and you know, I've had a lot of bands ask to be recorded, um, but then once the COVID started, they just kind of like backed off. So a lot of musicians are giving up during these COVID times. And I, I would just really try to motivate people to really keep pursuing their passion because, you know, musicians have been around forever during all sorts of troubling times. And uh, we shouldn't let something like this stop us from pursuing our dreams. And if someone is sort of looking at getting off the ground with like a, a solo project, what advice would you give them to get started? Because that's always something I've wondered, like uh, those dudes like you who, who just sort of start creating art. Uh, what got you started? How did you get into it? Well, basically, so um, once I finally got settled here in Los Angeles, um, I, I went through a rehab program a long time ago and got sober. I used to have a lot of drug issues and legal issues. So I finally got my life together and was ready to really pursue music again. And um, But I didn't have very much money. So there was one guy recording a lot of my stuff for free. But essentially, he would take full creative control of all the projects and totally change my songs into something that was just not what I had envisioned before. And so, so that kind of taught me that in order to really do what I wanted to do, I was going to have to save up money for my own recording gear because I can't rely on someone else to, to do something the way I really want it to be. So I would really urge independent musicians to work hard and save up some money, buy a, buy a laptop, buy an, a decent interface and buy a couple of mics and, or anything you need for recording and and get your software going because that money investment is truly going to pay off in the long awesome run. Awesome advice. Um, Brendan, did you have any questions? You said you wanted to ask something about um, so, uh, music distribution and platforms. Yeah. Um, so what do you usually, like, how do you listen to music normally? And then also, how uh, do you like to have your music played? Do you put yourself on Spotify or, like, do you usually, like, put everybody on Bandcamp or YouTube? So basically, I don't I don't listen to Spotify, and I also don't put any of my music on there. Uh, I tried with one of my Nothing Is Real albums to put it on there, but then through the Spotify distribution company, uh, I think I used what was it? Uh, no, not CD Baby. I was like DistroKid, or, or no, I used TuneCore. That's what it was. And so they ended up. There's a bunch of boxes you check. And if you accidentally check the YouTube monetization box, they're going to go ahead and block any other large YouTube channels who are streaming your music. Oh, wow. Oh. So that's one thing I do use that really helps me 
is is genre is a genre based uh, channels like six 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 Mr. Doom, yes. uh, <clears throat> you know Rob Hammer, or for more extreme metal like Greg Beale or any other. You know, there's a bunch of huge black metal channels, and I, I I'm always able to you know kind of conversate with them and 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 start a relationship with them where they are if they like my music they're always willing to put it up and that exposes me to a large fan base and then those people all get directed to my band camp to buy stuff so i don't use spotify i don't really support its message of barely paying artists anything and just getting put on these playlists and just kind of you know only pop stars are get, are making any money off spotify so i don't use it yeah, so I, fair enough. yeah i release everything to Bandcamp, and then like i I make friends with these YouTube channels, uh, these larger YouTube channels. And if, if my music fits their sound, then, then, and they like it, then I have them put it up and they all get directed. If, if they're going to buy it, then they can get directed to the band camp and then they'll buy it. So it's a really good way to expose yourself to more listeners. You, uh, we use like Bandcamp and Spotify a lot to listen to music. Um, what do you like to use for platforms and mediums? Are you like mainly on YouTube? Do you like to use Bandcamp or Spotify? Um, like, what what would you like to put your music out onto and have people listen to? I mean, as far as listening, um, I don't really use Spotify. It wasn't really part of me growing up listening to music, and I just I'm not really a fan of their philosophy of you know paying artists point zero 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 one cent per stream and then just placing them on some sort of playlist with a bunch of other bands. Like if I'm listening to an album, I want to listen to the whole album and get the whole experience. So, you know, of course I use Bandcamp a lot and I support artists and buy their stuff. And then I also use a lot of YouTube channels that are, that are, you know, focused on different genres and, and that helps me discover a lot of new bands. And then if I, if I like their stuff, I can be directed to their band camp. So as far as releasing my own music, I put it all on Bandcamp. And then I've made friends with a lot of these bigger YouTube channels like 666 Mr. Doom, who's a really cool dude in Greece who really cares about artists and really just wants to help out artists. You know, Rob Hammer, who does a lot of Doom. And then for more extreme metal, you got Greg Beale and then all the black metal promotional YouTube channels as well. So I'll have and rare rare metal albums as well as a really good friend of mine uh, who will put up pretty much all my music. So through that, more people can discover my music and then they can be directed to the band camp to buy the digital or physical release. And are you on a, you're a CD guy or a vinyl guy? Both. I have a vinyl player and I also love CDs. So I've been really making it a point to release all my stuff in some sort of physical format because of all this stuff going on with the internet, how we were talking about before, you know, we don't know what's really going to happen. So I think it's really important to have a physical copy of your music. I do too. I strongly agree on that. I, I always love having a, I've got a, I probably have like 400 CDs that started back in my, my day when I was in the, like buying music, you know, like uh, hardcore bands to, hip-hop albums you know to whatever i just always kept it and never got rid of them of yeah, course I'm, yeah i'm the same i've actually got about 1500 cds and when i first got out of high school every pretty much every dollar of every paycheck went to either buying cds or going to shows and exactly uh, 
Um, once I started moving around and immigrating and it became too difficult and I had to stop buying physical copies and go to digital just because, you know, it's so much easier to transport. But I have everything backed Definitely. up. So everything's purchased. Everything's on a hard drive. Everything's backed up in two locations because you never know what's going to happen with digital stuff. You don't. You don't. And, you know, we were, you know, us musicians work really hard on this music. So it's important to have it in a physical, tangible copy, you know. Yeah. To sell, mm -hmm. to have it yourself, to give to your friends and, and loved ones, you know. It's just really cool to have. Yeah, and I appreciate that you've been sending us physical copies of your stuff to review. So it's, it's been nice to actually have something to look at. Because it gives you, there's something about actually having the physical copy with the word book and the album art and like looking through it oh. gives you like a better idea of the album, what it's about. It's a whole, it's definitely part of the experience, you know. Because like someone put time in to make that cover album you know, and all that artwork and lay it out and make it look so perfect, you know, like there's, there's just so much to it. And then when you're actually holding it in your hand, like you said, you know, it's, it's, there's something magical about that. Exactly. You've, you've always had some interesting uh, cover art. Who, who does your art for you? So for Nothing Is Real, my amazing girlfriend, Ellen, does all of my art. She's a really, really good artist. And we're really able to communicate and, and really get the themes across with, you know, my ideas and then her own ideas and her own style. It just really comes together perfectly. So I'm That's really sweet. proud and I'm really proud and happy to have such an amazing girlfriend. Who, That's a cool partnership. Who, yeah, she's an artist as well. So it really just works out perfectly. And then for all the other albums, we had uh, Alex Shadrin do the art for the Schizo Cristo album. He's a really well-known artist in the metal community for a lot of death and black metal releases. And then, you know, other art, we, we just use random, you know, artists or, or different photographs. It really just depends on the message of the album. But for all my nothing is real stuff, it's definitely going to be my girlfriend doing all the art. That's awesome. And uh, we want to know, for, for those people who want to get set up as like a, a solo artist like you, what's sort of the first step to take? Because you don't just suddenly decide I'm going to be a one-man project and put an album out. There's obviously a lot that goes into it and putting it together. So where would people start if they wanted to follow in your footsteps? Um, so I had to basically work two jobs, uh, just work my fucking ass off to be able to save up enough money with, with the rent of living here in fucking L.A., to save up the money to get a laptop. And then I started with a really cheap and crappy, uh, well, actually the first uh, album, Give Me Your Energy from Nothing Is Real was all recorded through a device called an 11 rack, which is pretty much an ancient fucking, uh, totally useless piece of equipment that is like a guitar processor that goes straight into the computer. So that added to a lot of like the low fineness of that album because that's all I had. And you can think about like the black metal guys back in the 90s who really, they had maybe one microphone or they plugged their guitar straight into the, into the mixer with like an HM2 pedal or something. Like there's, there's a lot that go adds to it when you literally don't have many options. So you have to do the best you can with what you have. So yeah, you adapt. You adapt and it, 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 honestly in my opinion adds to the sound because it's a very genuine expression and you don't have too many options to really keep messing with it so you gotta get out you know the ideas you have with the constraints you have and you know there's something special about that album because it was you know my first real 
work where I was able to have full freedom. So my, my suggestion for independent musicians would be to really take the time, save up money, uh, but don't at the end, you know, work hard and, and buy a laptop, buy some sort of interface you can record with and microphones and obviously your instruments of choice. But don't think that you need to have the best stuff because what's most important overall is song quality. If you have really good songs, that's going to shine through no matter how shitty your recording equipment is. And then obviously you can continue to work and save up money and and continually improving your recording setup, which is what I did. So, And then I guess the other thing would be is once you make the music, getting it out there, so... Um, yeah and then you know that's that's also up to each band you know for some bands that are more mainstream spotify is the way to go but you know for me that's just not the way to do it so i'd say you know if you're doing underground metal and stuff i'd say definitely go for Bandcamp. they're a really good platform and they don't take very much money from artists at all and i feel like they really care about helping artists and I think the other thing is uh, getting getting your stuff to, to pages that promote musical review music like us as well is it really helps to get y- your name out there. And a hundred percent. And that's that's one of the few good things about Facebook is there's so many groups that people have built up around different genres of music and just huge huge fan bases to discover your stuff. So you know I've spent a lot of work into into promoting stuff and it's really paid off because a lot of people you know aren't used to promote it's kind of a little uncomfortable you know it's a little it's a lot of work that when you just spent so much work making and writing and recording your album but it's really vital if you want people to actually hear your stuff so i'd say be willing to invest a lot of time and a lot of energy into promoting your stuff any way you can it's it blows my mind sometimes because you come across bands that don't have any social media presence and like I get that that's their preference but it's it's really not going to be easy for them to build a following and get their their music out there people can't even contact them you know like uh, there's sometimes bands that I, I want to write up for and I can't even get in touch with them and, yeah uh, that's happened great. to me um, where like I've I've reviewed a couple bands and they don't have a Facebook page or anything to tag them in so it's just sitting out there and i don't know if they've seen it and uh you know that's also up to each band you know not everyone wants to be discovered so hugely like some people want to remain underground like that and there's also like more old school ways of doing things where you can just send your things to different underground labels and kind of have them do the distribution for you and you know i'm on i'm kind of going through this with the new moldering vibration full-length album like our drummer kind of is the one who controls the whole band camp and stuff. And he didn't even put the album up on band camp. He's basically doing it total DIY punk style. And we've just pressed, you know, a couple hundred CDs and we're literally just selling them through the punk community. So it totally depends what your goals are. Definitely. That's, that's hundred percent true. That's a good point. Everyone is a bit different with their vision for what their music is and what their band is going to achieve. Right. Yes, exactly. That also adds a little bit of um, like, like mysticism to it. Like, oh, have you heard that album? Like, nah, man. How'd you get it? You're like, oh, I only, I, they, they only saw it at a show. Like, that's the only exactly. place I've ever seen it. You know. So then you have like this coveted album now that is like kind of like a goldmine for people to try and listen to and find. 
Yeah, and that's why you see a lot of these old death metal albums from the 90s going for so much money for like the first edition press because they were a band just like uh, just a bunch of kids recording stuff with whatever they had you know whatever label or them themselves pressed how many however many albums they could so now everyone who knows about that band really covets that first edition and now you'll see them selling for a hundred bucks for one cd back from the 90s yeah i've seen them go for more than that sometimes too so i've seen up to like 200 for some like first edition stuff like discogs yeah. and stuff. Um, I've seen some ridiculous price gouging for, for albums. Exactly, which is crazy. But, you know, the reason that they're so coveted is because you can only get them from that person or whoever else is going to decide to sell Willing their to, copy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, pretty much, I guess, uh, it only becomes available for purchase once it decides to leave it like someone's collection. So exactly. a lot of those things are like, until they part with it, it's, it's not available anywhere. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, you know, not a lot of labels these days would be willing to repress some old, you know, weird metal album that a lot of people wouldn't be interested in. Yeah, there's actually quite a few from my CD collecting days that I've still never been able to find digitally anywhere. Uh, I only reason I can listen to it on my phone or whatever is because I ripped it from my computer. Yeah. And, uh, that's the only way I've got it. <laughs> But that's, yeah, that's a special thing because that's a piece of art that someone worked hard on and you can still listen to it. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's something else I wanted to ask you about, and that was um, out of all the projects you've worked on and all the albums you've released, is there a favorite that you have? Is, or is it that, uh, that first Nothing Is Real album that you mentioned because that was your first project that you did on your own? Um, well, honestly, I, I love every Nothing Is Real album I've done, you know. Um, so I wouldn't say that there's a favorite cause I do love all of them. They all have a different message. Every nothing is real albums, a concept album in a way. So I'm always, you know, touching on a different message, a different sound, a different theme. And I definitely put equal amounts of work into all of them. So, you know, I love yeah. everything. I love everything I've done musically. And, uh, I don't think some, if someone doesn't like the music they're making, then they need to find a a different project or do something else because music's supposed to be a passion and it's supposed to be really expressing who you are and 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 what you believe in and stuff so um yeah i, I love everything i've done but that album just has a special place because it was my first real album and i i didn't expect it to have any success whatsoever i just kind of set out to do the kind of music i love which is super weird super experimental and I was just fucking amazed when people actually liked it and were buying it. And when, you know, YouTube channels were putting it up and I had all these views, I just couldn't, I couldn't believe what was happening. So I think it was a big thing just to have no expectations of what was going to happen. And then it just blew my mind when actually people did enjoy this music and it really inspired me to keep going. That's awesome. I know um, I jumped into the game late on um, Nothing Is Real, and my first album of yours was uh, Desert of Illusions. Yep, yeah, that's the last one I. That's the last one I released on vinyl. Yeah, I actually put up all my own money to press a hundred vinyls of that. So that definitely has a special place in my heart as my first vinyl release. That's so awesome. That was actually my first Nothing Is Real album as well. Uh, that got me into into that project of yours, and uh, I really appreciated the fact that you were brave enough to put Dark Country into a metal album, which I thought was just awesome. 
Yeah, like I said, I try to bring a different musical influence to each album. So I love playing acoustic guitar, and it's actually the way I write pretty much all my songs is I will start on acoustic uh, because if a riff is good on an acoustic guitar, then you know it's going to be good plugged into a, a full stack with a ton of distortion. Yeah. So Absolutely. So basically, you know, I, I love dark country and, you know, punk country, Hank Williams and Coulter Walls, a new guy who I re- I'm really into. And just basically sad, depressing and just kind of dirty country music has always had a special place in my heart. So I really wanted to fuse those two styles, especially with the theme of, you know, the desert and, and traveling through this transformative, you know, bad trip type experience in the desert. Who, who was like your, your major influences? Like who uh, inspired you to be a musician? I, I'll talk about some of the people who really pushed, because I started playing guitar very young. I'm going to talk about the people who really pushed my playing into new areas and opened my mind. Let's see, the guitarist from Primus, Larry Lalonde, when I heard his stuff, the way he played the instrument when I was a kid, it really just opened my mind to all these new dissonant things that you can do on guitar that I had no idea. I'd never heard anyone do that kind of stuff on guitar, as well as um, Omar Rodriguez Lopez from the Mars Volta. You know, I don't really listen to them. I don't really listen to them anymore, but it was his playing style his use of all these weird open strings and bizarre chord voicings and stuff. That stuff has stuck with me the entire time since I first started hearing them. Cause it was just so different from anyone else who'd played the guitar as well as people like, you know, Robert Fripp from King Crimson and all these early prog albums I got into as a kid, like yes, King Crimson and all the seventies prog stuff. It really opened my mind to, so much more things you can do on the guitar. That's awesome. Oh, man. That's interesting. I actually haven't listened to um, Mars Volta in a long time. But I know. That first, that. That, that first album of theirs, I can't remember what it's called. It's got the album cover with the dude with the light shining out of his mouth. Yeah, you know the uh, Loused in the Comatorium. That's the one. Yeah, when I first heard that, that like blew my mind. Exactly. And it's like I don't listen to these bands anymore. But as a kid, they made such a strong impression on me. And I really had to figure out what those guys were doing on guitar. And it's just like learning different languages. It opens up a whole new vocabulary for you to be able to do. And then as far as like getting into doom metal, I know it's kind of cheesy. But when I heard the Electric Wizard Dope Throne album when I was pretty young, I'd never heard anything that that bleak and like nihilistic and it just I really just related to the feeling so much that it really opened up the door to go into doom metal and all the other metal that followed that. So I do have to credit, I do have to credit them, even though they're just such a typical doom band. That's, that's honestly what got me into doom metal. So I can't say that that they're they're one of the most influential bands. Yeah, They they did the fantastic, like that album in particular uh, sort of redefined the modern sound of doom to some extent, because until then, you had all these guys. It was all Sabbath worship. Everything was based on Sabbath type thing. And then yeah, had- it was all kind of stoner stuff, or you know, you had some funeral doom, but it was more mm-hmm. based in like death doom and death metal in the '90s. Right. And Electric Wizard pushed it into like a a real. It was still kind of stoner, but it was like so heavy and so down tuned and so fucking nihilistic sounding that it really 
probably started all the modern doom metal, to be honest. It did. There's a lot more bands these days that are sort of electric wizard worship style than there are Sabbath worship style. Um, that's at least my observation at the moment with what's coming out. Yeah, definitely. And uh, as far as the death metal side of things, uh, who, who sort of influenced you there? Like, who, who do you like for death metal that sort of made you want to write it and play it? Um, for death metal, you know, I didn't really used to like death metal very much. But then when I started getting into it, I was listening to all the old school stuff. And this band Autopsy from California, their old albums are just, they're so doomy and so fucking rotten sounding. With It's like doom riffs, but it's got a totally different feeling than doom metal. Whereas it's just this feeling of death and rot and decay. And I feel like, you know, while technically they're not the best, it's the feeling they have in their music that really made me start getting drawn to death metal. So I'd still probably say Autopsy is my favorite death metal band. It's funny because when I listened to Obsidian Hooves, my first take was like, this guy's listening to Autopsy. Um, yeah, you, you totally. had like a real energy from that, and it was like it wasn't just the the sound; it was the energy. Because Autopsy's got its own thing going on with like the lead singer's energy on on the mic there, which I love about them. Exactly, and then as far as newer death metal bands, I'm really loving Spectral Voice. Ooh, it's like awesome. super super death doomy stuff. You know, there's to, a there's a total big resurgence in the old school death metal sound right now, which is really cool. Yeah, yeah we are so stoked on that. Yeah, it's awesome because, you know, death metal got completely crap and overproduced and got really shitty for a while. So I really like I think it started off as this raw, disgusting thing of people who could play as fast or slow as they wanted with as much distortion, do any weird shit that they could pull off. So, yeah, I think we're finally going back to that hit you with like a wall of sound and they didn't really care what it sounded like. No, it didn't matter if they were out of tune, if they were hitting wrong notes. It was all about that fucking feeling they were getting across. What I hated about a lot of the modern death metal for a long time was that it lost the crunch, if you know what I mean. Like, the early death metal had that sort of crunch to the guitar tone that just made it sound filthy. Yeah. And uh, all that overproduced stuff that was so clean and crisp, I just it didn't have the same energy and didn't have the it same vibe. It has no feeling. It has no yeah, feeling exactly. it. it's, it's mechanical. It's not the same. Yeah, because they, they go in and they they uh, they replace all the drum hits. They also have it all to a tempo and to a grid, and they make everything perfectly on time, and then they process the guitar tones to crap. And the reason the old death metal had all this feeling is because they're not playing to any click track. They're playing basically just free form as a band. So they're speeding up and they're slowing down, and like when you're slowing down all together as a band, that creates this disgusting feeling of like falling into the abyss that if you're all mapped out perfectly to a grid, it's just not, you can't get that. There's no bound breaking. None. Yeah. And what, what about your black metal projects? Who influenced you there? Um, you know, I've, I've actually liked black metal for a long time. So, you know, as far as a newer black metal band, I really like craft because they put a lot of frog elements into their music as well. Probably. Yeah, I'm a big I'm a big fan of Kraft, actually. Good, yeah, good so stuff. they're one of my bigger influences in black metal, because they just really have that true feeling of black metal that I can relate to, you know, as well as all the old stuff like Dark Throne and everything. 
But I see a similar that... thing happening in black metal of like really overproduced and it's all kind of turning atmospheric and it just has no none of that feeling of darkness or a cold or rage. And that's the stuff getting a lot of attention these days. But for me, it just doesn't do it for me. Well, what I'll say about black metal is the reason I love it so much is because unlike some other genres of metal, it's never been afraid to push boundaries and, uh, you know, take sounds from other genres or implement other genres and blend styles. Exactly. Um, black, black metal has always been, it's, it's been growing and changing since it, it first started really. And you can find a band that people will say like, that's not black metal. That's this. I'm like, no, that's still black metal. They just, you know, they do their own thing. And that's right. what I like yeah, about, it's about it so much. For me, like, it's always about the feeling, you know, and, I don't, I think I don't like being too tied to genres as it is, you know. I think it's yeah, that's just, obvious. <laughs> it's more about being genuine of who you are and 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 you know the feelings you're trying to convey in your music. So, um one one guy I actually recently discovered is this one Russian one man band. He's like an atmospheric black metal artist, but it and it's instrumental, but it's totally like the feeling is so on point of true black metal. And he's called Dead Wasteland. If you guys want to check him out, all right. I'm okay, I'll right look into that. <laughs> yeah, he's got all of the synths woven in and stuff, but then he'll just drop super heavy with the the guitars and the blast beats and stuff. And it's just a what, really what? good, uh, really good feeling to his music, like of just like nature and the primal, primal currents and all that stuff. That sounds awesome. Um, one album that we all loved this year that was um, super out there, black metal and genre, like genre bending, was uh, the new Oranzi Pazuzu. Have you heard that one? Yeah, I, I love that band. How cool yeah. is that band? Those guys play some crazy music. I'd almost classify them more as prog or psychedelic even than black metal, but it's definitely yeah. got that feeling of black metal, and it's really, really fucking good. Ethereal. Yeah, so- for anyone who has not checked that out, definitely look into that band because you'll want to listen to them. That is some good stuff. Yeah, I remember um, seeing their music video off the new album with the the guy basically illustrating like it's like in the eighteen hundreds or something. How the it's like illustrating like how the train tracks and all this other like corporate stuff took over the world, and he like cuts his hand open and bleeds onto the picture, and it just shows this like black infection traveling through the entire world. Really psychedelic and creepy and awesome. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> I have to check that out. I haven't actually seen that video yet. I've listened to the album, but I haven't checked that out. So I'll definitely watch that. Um, anyone else that's on the scene at the moment that uh, got you excited, who, who you enjoy listening to? Oh, any artists on the scene at the moment? Yeah, so um, who, who are you jamming these days? Who's... Uh, I mean, it's it's always changing, and honestly, I listen to a lot of old stuff. Like uh, last night, I just slapped on some obscure prog record from the '70s of the violinist from the Mahavishnu Orchestra. He has a solo band, so you know, I listen. My musical tastes are all over the place, and I'd say for the most part, I listen to a lot of older stuff. But you know, I'm always discovering new new artists uh, through through YouTube and Bandcamp. Um, well, Sebasius isn't new. Sorry, my, my girlfriend's chiming in. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> but um, I'm trying to remember, what was that band on Greg's channel we found? Or that other really weird metal album we found? The one we were listening to in Big Bear. I know, I'm trying. 
give me one second. Well, there's a couple, you know, there's a some really genre bending and like psychedelic metal albums I heard recently. One was by this band called Nightside Eclipse. I can't remember the name of the album, but they just released oh, it. And then another is by this band called Vasifor, uh, V-A-S-S-A-F-O-R, which is like a two-man band from, it's either New Zealand or Australia. Oh, uh, I think they're New Zealand. Uh, I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah, it's I think from New Zealand. New Zealand so, yeah, they've been around for a while, but they just released a new album. And just the production, how they did it on that album, it's so like spacey and cavernous and just really has this feeling that you're just in a different dimension that is super dark. And they do a lot good. of really interesting and creative stuff on that album. New Zealand's good at making that sort of weird cavernous music because I always got that vibe from Ulcerate as well. That, uh, oh, yeah. It's like... Ulcerate's awesome. Guys, yeah, that's another New Zealand band that's super out there. So, And they were actually a huge inspiration on an album I'm releasing with my drummer friend soon as well. And he actually wanted to go the label route for this one. I usually release all my stuff independent and just put up the money for the physicals, but he wants to go the label route on this one. So we're currently on the search for a good label that will fit onto because, you know, the sound is super bizarre and technical and progressive death metal, kind of like Ulcerate or like uh, Gorguts, early Gorguts, kind of like. Um, yeah, that's another but, good band. Kind of like Time Ghoul, if you've ever heard. Oh, of yeah, yeah. I have the, the, like a two, a one EP, I guess, or two demos from like the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, um, like it, it's got this album has the weird chanting type stuff that they would weave into their death metal. So it's stu- super spacey, progressive and, and very technical and bizarre death metal. So it's definitely going to be a search to find the right label who's, who it fits their sound. But we're on the hunt right now, so. We have all the music and artwork totally completed. Is that the one that you sent me the other day? Yeah, I sent you that on a transfer. Um, I can send it over to you guys again, too, if you guys want to hear it. No one's really heard this one, so you guys will probably be one of the first to hear it. I would love that. Fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> that would be fantastic. Um, if you actually just message it to the page, uh, Brendan will get a copy, and so will I at the same time. Awesome. Yeah, I'll message it over for sure. And uh, when that actually drops, we'd be happy to, to write that up for you guys. So anyone listening who follows us, uh, keep an eye out for that project. Yeah, it was definitely a very, one of the most technical albums I've ever done. And uh, how I did it, I'd record the guitar parts and then send it to my drummer friend. And then when he would send the drums back to me, the riffs were so complicated, I'd have to spend an hour just to remember what the hell I did, just to be able to record <laughs> my parts again over <laughs> It was so fucking crazy. So now I'm really excited to listen to that now. So as soon as I get a chance, I'm going to put that on. Awesome. Um, it looks like we've actually run up our time today. So uh, is there any other anything else you'd like to let whoever's listening know about any upcoming projects or anything like that before we uh, we wrap up? Um, I'll just say I'm I'm about halfway done with the next Nothing Is Real album. And it's really going to, it has a bunch of industrial influences. Basically, I bought a portable Tascam recorder, and I've just been recording all these horrific sounds I can find through the city of construction and trains and all, like, all those sounds that you hear in in an industrial and city environment. 
and I've weaved them into all these really heavy doom tracks. So really, awesome. this album's going to touch on the theme of what we're talking about with the social media, everything that's been happening this year, kind of with the downfall of society as a whole through technology. And, uh, you know, this album's going to basically travel through all of that. And it's also going to devolve into pretty much gunshots and explosions. And then the end <laughs> of the album is going to be like nature sounds with some beautiful tracks at the end. Wow. So I'm about awesome. halfway through this one. That sounds fantastic. Cannot wait to hear that. Yeah, it's definitely turning. I didn't know if I'd be able to pull off the concept, but it's actually coming together well. And do you have a name for that one yet? Or not, not yet? No name for this one. And then, uh, the other Nothing Is Real album, which is up for pre-order, which is called I Control You, that's going to be releasing on Halloween, October 31st. <laughs> so, yeah, so that pre-order is already up on Bandcamp. I have a, I have a couple CDs left, but I'm going to be ordering another batch here pretty soon to be ready for the release. And we actually wrote up a review for that one. So anyone who wants to hear a bit more about that, uh, you should better find it on our page somewhere there. Yeah, that one kind of is also tying into a lot of themes this year regarding, you know, mind control and the effect that art has on controlling the listener as well as controlling the artist, as well as the effect of just control as a whole and and what kind of things are, you know, how all of humanity is being controlled in one way or another. And it, it's kind of getting to the root of like what issues really do control us. So. And that was the same. That was the album that also featured your vocalist from uh, Schizo Christo as well, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, Obsidian Hooves. I featured him on two tracks. He did a really, really good job. As well as I featured um, this singer, a female singer who was on my Pain Is Joy album. Uh, her name's Kirsten Graham. She did clean vocals on the second track, and she's a really, really good singer. And she's a real pleasure to work with as well. So I'm definitely honored to have. Since Desert of Illusions was totally instrumental, uh, this album now has three different vocalists on it. The vocals are still fairly minimal, but it's definitely bringing that extra ingredient to the album. And is that industrial one going to have uh, vocals, or is that going to be instrumental purely as well? I believe uh, I'm going to have some real harsh kind of sludge vocals on this one. Very nice. Awesome. Very nice. All right. Well, yeah. thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, we really appreciate you taking some time to chat with us about your work. And, thank uh, you, guys. We're excited to listen to everything you put out in the, the coming months. Thank you so much. And I'd just say in this time during COVID, you know, really let's do everything we can to buy artists stuff that we enjoy and, and really support artists because so many people are out work right now based on what their profession is. And so many people are struggling, you know, to pay their bills. I think it's really important to be supporting artists who are still out there trying to release stuff. And uh, uh, Bandcamp Friday important. as well is another thing worth taking, uh, keeping in mind. Uh, for those who don't know, Bandcamp Friday is where Bandcamp waives their fees for artists for any purchases that you make on Bandcamp. Yeah, so basically you don't get taxed whatsoever on Fridays. So if you if you want to... You know, as a listener, if you want to just save everything that you're really enjoying and then on Friday kind of just purchase everything, whether it's physicals or digitals, anything's really helping artists at this point as far as music purchases. So we, I really appreciate everyone who's still supporting my projects and 
and and you know really helping me continue to do this during these times fantastic well thanks again for coming on and uh i think that's us for today uh we should have another interview up sometime in the next few weeks so keep stay tuned